And I'd like to read verses 1 to 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to have our, your word in our language. We thank you that we can have a copy sitting on our own laps. Uh, Lord, we have, uh, Lord, these privileges that so many throughout history have only ever dreamed of. And yet, Father, how we don't take advantage of um, opening the Bible, reading the Bible, letting it be a part of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have today to do that. And we pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In my last few messages... Uh, in my series in 2 Corinthians, I've been in chapter 10. And we've seen how Paul had to defend his ministry against false teachers who had come into the Corinthian church. Uh, if you're ever feeling like you're under pressure, you're being criticised in your ministry, well, 2 Corinthians is a good place to be. You're not on your own. In chapter 11, in chapter 11 where we're up to today, we, we finally learned some details about the troublemakers who'd come into the church. And uh, for me, it's like when you hear about a person for a long time, <laughs> then you finally get to meet them. We've been hearing about these uh, people who've been criticising Paul and who've been uh, Lord, uh, putting him down to the Corinthians. We've been learning, hearing about them. And today, or in this chapter at least, we finally get to meet them and to, to find things out about them. But firstly, before Paul um, introduces these people to us, um, he tells us uh, in this, uh, the beginning of this chapter, he, he, he speaks about his folly. And that's my first point, Paul's folly. He says, Would to God you should bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. Now, in this verse, Paul uses two tenses for the same word, the, ver the verb is to bear, and he uses two tenses for this verb. The first uh, is imperfect, uh, meaning that they were bearing him in the past. Would to God you could bear with me. Actually, that's actually telling us that they were bearing him in the past. And the second uh, word uh, where we see bear, he, it's in the present tense, 
meaning that he hoped they would continue to bear with him in what he was now going to the right to write. Uh, you have been bearing with me in the past, and now I'm asking you to bear with me now. He was hoping they would bear with him in what he called his folly. Bear with me a little in my folly. Paul was going to speak in a foolish way, and uh, he hoped that they would put up with it. Now, the Greek word for folly here means something that's well, it's not wise or it's an imprudent thing. Uh, there are other words uh, for folly that include the idea of perverseness or wickedness, but this, uh, this word doesn't include those things. Paul wasn't going to be perverse or wicked. He was just going to sort of speak in a way that probably wasn't necessarily appropriate. Paul was asking them to bear with him a little in his folly. And by that, he meant that he was going to boast about his ministry. He was going to boast about it, glory in it. In chapter 12, verse 11, he explained this very point. If you'd like to turn over there. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. And I have quoted this verse before, but this is really what Paul means by... Um, the folly that he was going to share. I have become a fool, that's folly, in glorying, that's boasting. You've compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for nothing I'm behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing, I've become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me. Paul thought that he needed to speak like a fool by boasting about his ministry, and he was clearly uncomfortable about it. Now, if there was anybody who could boast about their ministry for Christ, it was Paul, but he didn't like doing it. He said, you guys should be commending me, but you forced me to boast about my ministry. Now, the reason he uh, was going to do this was because he thought that's what the church would accept. Have a look back in chapter 11, verses 16 to 19. Chapter 11, verses 16 to 19. Paul said in verse 16, I say again, let no man think me a fool. This is, we're talking about folly and speaking foolishly. Let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak, I speak not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that, that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. And here's the reason he felt like he had to speak this way, in this foolish way, for ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are so wise. It's basically sarcasm. Paul thought he, he needed to speak like a fool uh, so that they would accept what he had to say. I'm forced to speak like a fool because you seem to suffer fools gladly. If that's, uh, if that's who you like to listen to, uh, that's the kind of speaking you like, then you've compelled me to speak that way. For ye suffer fools gladly. That Greek, the Greek word there, the, the word for suffer, is exactly the same word as bear in verse 1. So this takes us back to verse 1. Suffering would to God ye could bear with me, suffer with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. 
Now, you might ask, why would Paul, with his credentials, he was a, a Jewish doctor of law, uh, he was an outstanding missionary apostle, why would someone with such, uh, such outstanding credentials, why would he be willing to speak like a fool uh, to get their attention? Why would he do that? Well, he gives the reason in verse 2. Uh, please bear with me a little in, in my folly. I'm going to start boasting about my ministry. Verse 2, the reason is, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you unto one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul said that he was jealous over the church. He said it's a godly jealousy. It's literally the jealousy of God. His was a godly jealousy born out of a godly concern for the church. Paul could see the church people drifting into false teaching, drifting away from the truth that he had taught them as a true apostle of Jesus Christ. In this verse, Paul likens himself to a father who has espoused his daughter, promised his daughter to marry a certain man. I'm the father, this is my daughter, and I've espoused her, promised her to this man. And in a, in a spiritual sense, Paul was the father of their faith. And he told them that in 1 Corinthians. He said, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers, but I have begotten you through the gospel. In, in that real spiritual sense, Paul was their father. And he had espoused them to one husband, and that was Christ. Jesus would be the bridegroom, and the church would be his bride. And Paul wished, as any godly father would, to present this church as a chaste virgin to Christ. But Paul could see his spiritual children being seduced into spiritual adultery. This was his fear for the church. And that was the reason for his folly. And so having shared his folly, Paul went on to share his fear in verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Eve, we know, was beguiled, that, that word means deceived, through the, the subtlety of the arch enemy himself. Satan took the truth of God and he twisted it into a lie. The Bible calls it the lie. Satan deceived Eve to sin through craftiness. And we all know the story. We've known it for probably most of our lives. And Paul had no doubt God's ancient enemy was, was up to his old dirty tricks in the church in Corinth. There he was again, deceiving people uh, to, to believe a lie. Satan, like Eve, was taking the truths of God's word and twisting them into a pack of lies and the church people were starting to believe them. The serpent, Satan, was trying to corrupt their minds from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, he said, oh, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What is the simplicity that is in Christ? Well, I'm here to tell you that that's the gospel. The gospel is the simplicity that is in Christ. And, and Paul has mentioned the gospel over and over again in this epistle and the one he wrote three months before his first epistle. The gospel is the simplicity that is in Christ. 
Christ. Now, first, go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, this wonderful passage. And let's remember what the gospel facts are. Paul makes it very clear what the gospel facts are. If anybody asks you what the gospel is, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul tells us. Now he's speaking to the Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye have received. They received that gospel and wherein you stand, they were standing in that gospel that they had received from Paul, by which also ye are saved. They, they believed that gospel and they were saved. By which ye are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. The gospel, this is the gospel that the church at Corinth had received from Paul. It was the message that had saved their souls. It was the message that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. But what Paul didn't write here was how they received the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. Now, he mentions faith here, doesn't he? But he might not have spelled out how to receive the gospel in this epistle, but he does spell it out in other epistles. And I like what he told the Ephesians. So if you just flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, how do we receive the benefits of Christ's sacrifice? He, was, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose for our justification. But how do we receive the benefits of his sacrifice? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. And you hath he quickened, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also you had your, uh, we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that salvation is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friends, the good news, the gospel is, 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 means good news. You know that. The gospel be, means good news. <laughs> and what we read here is the best news you'll ever hear. This is the best news you'll ever hear. 
we are all born into this world as sinners. And we prove that because we go on sin. Our spirit is dead to God. And whether we are aware of it or not, we are a part of Satan's kingdom. And as such, as a part of Satan's kingdom, we are the children of wrath. That's what it says here. God's wrath abides on us because of our sin, which means we are destined to spend eternity in hell when we die. We will die and we will pay for our sins in eternal torment. The wrath of God. We are the children of wrath because of our sins. We're born into that condition. But knowing our fate, God in his love and mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and take the punishment that we deserve. Jesus died, as Paul told the Corinthians, and he rose from the dead. He did all of this to make it possible for us to be forgiven, that we might receive the hope of heaven. But what do we have to do to obtain this mercy? Well, Paul made a abundantly clear to the Ephesians what we have to do to obtain this salvation. Paul told the Ephesians here that we simply have to receive it as a gift. It is the gift of God. It's the gift. It's a gift. We are saved by grace. That's God's kindness which we receive through faith, through believing. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and call upon him to save us. It's not something that we can earn. And Paul makes it very clear here, it's not of works, not of religious works, not of good works, not through penance or through payment. You know, we wouldn't ask a person to pay for a gift we give them. We give them a gift and say, okay, <laughs> I'd like you to pay for it. Well, if we have to, have to pay for it, it is not a gift. Uh, this is... a if you like, the simplicity that we have in Christ. To ask somebody to pay for a gift that is given is an insult. It spoils the gift and the kindness behind it. The, the gift Christ won for us on the cross of Calvary is free. Free to all who believe. This is the simplicity of Christ. And this is what some people find hard to accept. It seems like it's too easy. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for him because Jesus had to suffer those nails in his hands and his feet. Jesus had to suffer the, the whipping and the spitting and the cursing against him. It wasn't easy. But it's free because of what he has done for us. But you know, there are some people who find it hard to accept that, that, that it is a free gift some people are too proud to accept any gift they haven't earned. There are some people you try to give them some money or you try to help them out, but they're too proud to accept charity. And you know, that attitude can transfer, transfer over into accepting God's gift of salvation. And so if there's anybody here today and that's you, you think, well, what the... I know, understand what you're saying, and I've heard this before, but you know, it just seems too easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy for God, it cost the blood of his son. If, it's, if, if you're too proud uh, to, uh, to just accept God's gift, then I'm here to tell you there's no other way. There's no other way to receive the benefits of Christ's death. 
There's no other way to escape hell. There's no other way to win heaven. And that's because Jesus has paid the debt we are in full. We can't add one bit to what he has done for us. But there have been teachers in every age who have taught that we need to add our works to the work of Christ in order to be saved. Yes, they accept that we have to believe in Jesus, whoever their Jesus is, <laughs> but they teach also that we need to do some works in order to be saved. For the Catholics, it's baptism, infant baptism, good works and penance. For the Adventists, it's faith and Sabbath-keeping. Uh, for the Mormons, it's faith uh, plus baptism, laying on of hands and good works. These, these groups are among those who, whose minds have been cor corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Which brings us back to our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Why don't you turn with me back there. This is what Paul was talking about. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, through the twisting of truth to bringing a lie, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul's fear was that those who were troubling the Corinthian church were corrupting the minds of the Corinthian believers from the simplicity of Christ. Now, we might ask, what type of corruption was being spread in Corinth? What were they actually teaching? Well... We get some clues further in this chapter. Have a look in verse 13. Paul makes it very clear what he thinks of these people. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves. He says, It wasn't God given, it's just self appointment, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And so these people who had come into the church, Paul was over on his missionary journeys, these people had come in and said, well, look, we're like Paul. We're, we're an apostle like Paul. So we know they were claiming apostleship and therefore authority. Have a look in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So these people were Jews and probably they were from Jerusalem because we know that that was the seedbed of Judaism. They were Jews claiming authority as apostles of Christ. Now we know the doctrines of the Judaists, we know the doctrines the Judaists were touting in those early years. We know exactly what these people were doing. They were going all over the, the place. They were going to the churches that Paul had started. And they were bringing these uh, false doctrines. So we know exactly what they taught. Paul wrote a, a stern letter to the churches of Galatia about this very thing. These Judaists were teaching that in order to be saved, we have to believe in Christ, yes, but you have to keep the Jewish law. Believe in Christ and keep the law of Moses. And that also included being circumcised. Now, Paul told the Galatians that the gospel these Judaists uh, preached, he said it's a false gospel, and he said, if you follow that gospel, then you will be cursed. That's what he said. Paul had lots to say about this, uh, the doctrines of these Judaists. So I want us to go just over to Galatians 3. It's a few pages over, and I want us to see a few of the things that Paul said about these Judaists and what they taught. Galatians 3, 
I think they're the same crowd that have come in to the church in Corinth. Jews claiming to be apostles, trying to bring people under the law. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently been set forth, crucified among you? He's probably talking there about when he preached Christ to these churches. Preach the gospel. This only would I learn of you. Received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain? They had suffered for their faith in Christ. <laughs> he said, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth it here by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Paul said you're being bewitched into to, to going after something that is not going to help you. It's going to actually uh, destroy your faith. Have a look in verses 10 to 13. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that committeth, continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. If you want to get to heaven by law keeping, hey, guess what? You're cursed. Not only that, you'll never get there. Verse uh, 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Uh, that's a verse in Habakkuk. And the law is not of faith. They're not the same. They're opposites. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us. He shed his blood. He's paid the redemption price so that we can be freed from the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. What an offence to, to the redemption in Christ for us to then say, well, well, maybe we need to do something ourselves to earn that salvation. Have a look in chapter 5, verse 4. Very chilling. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Could be any clearer. So, now we can understand the seriousness of the situation in Corinth. We can see why Paul feared for the church and why he was willing to enter into some folly to get them to understand the danger they were in. And next time, we'll see what he went on to write in chapter 11 to bring them to their senses. But by application for us today, just a few things before we finish. Many of us who've been in ministry for any time, and I know many of you have been in ministry for a long time, you know exactly what Paul feared for his spiritual children. You, you've had to see it yourself. We've brought some souls to Christ, to life in Christ, and we've discipled them, and, and we've seen them in, the, in God's house, and we, we've perhaps even minister, ministered alongside them. We've given our, our heart to them. We've given our time to them. And, and then sadly we see them drift away. And, and when we notice them drifting, we are jealous over them with a godly jealousy. We're so concerned for them. 
Were you like that father as he watched his prodigal son walk down the road and off into the world? Unfortunately, we've had to, to witness that many times as we've served the Lord. But I hope that there's somebody here today who is not that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter. I hope there isn't someone here today whose mind the enemy is corrupting. You know, we need to understand Satan doesn't have our best interests at heart. He's the master of deceit and, he, and, and he's the master of twisting the truth. And he wants to destroy our faith in Christ and he wants to ruin our lives. So let's not believe his lies or surrender to his wiles. Let's resist the devil <laughs> so that he'll flee from us. And secondly, let's never move away from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, our hearts, for some, men want to work. They want to somehow feel like they've earned what they have. And so it seems to be a part of our nature, whether we bow down to an idol or we go on a pilgrimage or do something, to feel, we feel good about ourselves. That's just pride. But that kind of thinking is an insult to God's grace and it's a gross mistake and it's a gross mistake to think that we could add anything of worth to our salvation because even our best is nothing but filthy rags. So let's never wander from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let's, let's every single day cast ourselves upon the grace and the mercy of our awesome God. All he wants us to do is confess our sins. All he wants us to do is to be right with him and to trust him for everything in life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are such a wonderful God, that you are a God of love, you're a God of grace and mercy. And we know that's true because you sent heaven's best, the Lord Jesus, to die in our place, to take the punishment we deserve. And Father, we thank you that through him we can have salvation. Through him we can have forgiveness. Through him we can be made the children of God and have the hope of heaven. Help us, Lord, never to wander away from the simplicity that is in Christ. But I do pray, Father, if there's somebody here today and they are that prodigal, in their hearts they know they've been drifting, in their hearts they know they've been finding it hard to, to, to become the church or to read their Bible or uh, to, to be the Christian that people think they are. Oh, Lord, if there's somebody whose heart is drifting today, I pray your spirit would, would speak to them and, and draw them to yourself that they might know that the, the way of the prodigal is the way to the pig pen. And the only way of blessing is to surrender to you. Lord, we thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.